whimsical, so unpredictable Here on the SNL Network Yes, that is right. Welcome, everybody, on in to the Saturday Night Network for another Monday Night Roundtable, this time to break down the return of Timothy Chalamet and musical guest Boy Genius. It is so exciting to be here on this Monday night, especially because this isn't the first time in SNN slash SNL Network slash SNL Stats history that we're here to talk about Timothy Chalamet hosting SNL. We actually did do this back in our first season. It was the eighth episode that we ever covered on the show, and it was crazy. I went back and watched that roundtable today, and it was just really fun to get that blast from the past and see how far we've come. But I am so excited now to talk about uh, Timothy number two here in season 49 with some great friends who are joining us on this Monday night. And first up, let me bring in my man, Andrew Haskell. Haskell, how are you? I'm doing good. When you told me today that you were rewatching that first one, I almost asked if I was a part of it, but I don't even think I was with the network yet. I think I was a uh, post-COVID edition. Um, was I there? That's incredible. You, I, you, were, you were there. So, you were there for that episode, but you were with the network. You joined for the first episode, I think was the Chappelle episode you were on. Yes. Yes. So um, crazy. Uh, crazy to think, you know, it's 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 come full circle. We, we haven't had too many um, sort of returning uh hosts in the last couple of years there's been a couple of like uh hosts that we're kind of used to um but not in terms of people that we've been really wanting to see and uh we'll get into it a little bit more about Chalamet but excited to be here and break this one down yeah second time we've ever had a host that we're going to talk about twice the first time was with John Mulaney coming back in season 47 for his five timers club and next week we'll have Jason Momoa we weren't around for that we were in the podcast womb but we'll get to talk about it I'm very excited at the end of the show uh joining us as well at the bottom of the screen is Kirsten Rayala. Kirsten how are you good I can't believe you just said podcast womb has anybody ever said that before on a podcast I don't I don't think so you heard it here first. Um, yeah, I'm thrilled to be here to talk about Cutie Patootie Chalamet. Oh, uh, yeah, me too. Very excited. Uh, <laughs> he had a lot of fun on Saturday nights. And uh, of course, we cannot do another episode of Saturday Night Live without getting to talk to TJ Randolph about this one. So TJ, how are you? John, 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 I, I'm, I'm feeling good. Honestly, I, um, I'm definitely in a, a nice little SNL kick. I'm rewatching some old episodes. I was Rewatched the uh, the old Chalamet episode, and I rewatched uh, the old Donald Glover episode, and the old Amy Schumer episode, um, the second hosting. So I'm mean, I'm feeling good. This has been a, a nice week to just remember some sketches within the past five years, and it's it's kind of funny now that the podcast has been on long enough that you can now go back and sort of see yourself. So being able to reflect on like where like Haskell was at the beginning of the 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 podcast time or yourself, John, I think it's kind of fun because it's almost like you have like you can do a retrospective of yourself um so uh it's kind of cool because it also makes me reflect on like how much i enjoyed coming to this podcast i think the episode before Chappelle's episode actually is i think the one where the first one i listened to um but i can't remember which who was hosting um but yeah um really excited to see oh that's who it was um so yeah uh glad to be here Yes. <laughs> yeah for sure well uh enough about us because we got to talk about timothy chalamet who you know, I guess uh, people were clamoring for to come back again to host Saturday Night Live because during season 46, like I said, it was our first season hosting the show or doing the podcast coverage of the show. And yeah, we we had nothing to compare it to. It was just really enjoyable to do the podcast. But now four seasons into this thing, season 46 was not the best season in the history of the show. 
except Timothy Chalamet's episode, I thought was one of the better episodes from that season. I felt like they really brought it. It was awkward to try and get through how SNL is going to manage COVID. And I felt like for that episode, they started to do maybe one or two more sketches. They were heading towards the Christmas break. And I, I think things felt a little bit more normal then. So I was excited to see him back because I felt like he had such a great debut on the show. Haskell, what were your thoughts when you saw Timothy Chalamet's name come up to host SNL again? Yeah, you can put me right on that list of people that wanted to see him uh, host again. Like I've been saying it for a few years. I thought uh, his episode that season was one of, if not the best episodes of that season. So that was great. And I think he's just, uh, I, I don't want to oversell it, but I'll oversell it if I need to. I think he is an absolute home run of a host. I think he checks a lot of boxes. He's really good on the show. He seems to really want to do the show. Like he seems happy to be there. Um, he is a, uh, he's a movie star. Like he's, he's both like an award-winning movie star and in big blockbusters. And he has an appeal for a bit of a younger audience. And I think a lot of people saw that online this week and it paired really well with the musical choice of boy genius. So it all worked really well. I think he's an absolute home run of a host. I think he should be fast tracked as one of this era's five timers. Like I, I not only was I happy that he was back now, I'm already waiting for him to come back and host again. Yeah, that's really interesting because a lot of times our five timers that we get host every one to two years, but this time we actually got a three-year break from Chalamet, which I advocate for. I think that's the right amount of time between hosting appearances, unless you're just you know, top tier, which I, I think he's very good. I don't know if he's in the pantheon of all time greats in terms of one or two time hosts, but I, I do think he's a very solid host that should come back every few years, uh, at least as long as he wants to do it and bring it to the show. Now, Haskell, I did see that tweet of yours that said that you think he should be a five timer. Is there any other host from this era that you think falls into that category or Timothy's like the first one for you that you're like, this could be this era's host? Uh, wow. Um, you know, I think maybe the tough one is I would say Adam Driver for a while, but now it's kind of been so far removed that I would say most of the cast that he worked with has kind of moved on now. The, the people that I think he did really good work with have moved on. So, yeah, I do think that Chalamet is the first one from this group of this core cast that I would sit there and be like, I, I, I'd, I'd like to see him come back and host now three more times. Very fascinating. So, Kirsten, what did you think when you saw Timothy was going to host SNL? Did you feel similarly to the way that Haskell does? Yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of, of him. And for all the reasons that you listed, I mean, he, he forgot that he sings. <laughs> he's got his thing in his next movie. Um, he's very entertaining. What I was struck by, I rewatched his first hosting episode and he was downright giggly at the beginning. And if you contrast that with the assuredness and the confidence and just the kind of casual nature and comfort with being on that stage for someone so young still, I know so much pressure. Um, it was, it set it up well for me that it was going to be what I hoped and what it delivered was a great episode. So I was excited to see him. And, uh, I agree on the three year thing, like leave some for the rest of us. There are so many other great um, possible hosts out there that I think three-year break is great because it, it gives uh, an opportunity to so many other people that we can discover. I know this is really high praise. 
and I don't know that his episode necessarily met the quality of some of this other host episode, but I was getting Justin Timberlake vibes from a Timothy Chalamet, where I did feel like in the first time he hosted, you know, Jimmy Fallon and Justin Timberlake had that vibe in the way that Timothy Chalamet and Pete Davidson had that vibe. And I was like, who's going to be his Andy Samberg, the guy that wasn't around the first time, but that really clicks with him this time. And TJ, for me, I was like, oh, when I saw Marcelo in the monologue with him, I was like looking for it. I was like, okay, he's starting to click with this cast. I just thought it was really cool that he's there with a bunch of cast members he wasn't with the first time. And I still think he brought a very quality episode to the show. So what do you think of the name Timothy Chalamet coming up to host a second time? Well, I mean, to be honest, like everything Haskell was saying is resonating kind of with me. He was in that bucket of like people I'd like to see come back, Um, which isn't anything special because like I feel like that's the way a lot of us felt. You know, we all said it like it's a very good episode. But speaking to that note you said about the Justin Timberlake thing, I'll be honest, when you said that, like I could see it. But the thing that made me see it most rewatching that old episode and watching this one now is how musical how how like sneaky and musical this episode how sneaky and musical that episode was i think there was at least three singing or rapping things going on tiny horse rap round table and i think at one point uh during the monologue chalamet and peter at a piano um and then in this episode um there were at least like five or six like singing or rap like this is very musical and it honestly it kind of snuck up on us i feel like like you kind of expect with the rap round table and okay sure a singing monologue but there was a lot of other music going on in here um, that, for me, is what made the episode stick out. Um, in term, but like, I don't want to say he's a musical host, but it, it surprised me so much. But not in the way that we sort of had some episodes um, in the past couple of years where it was too musical. And it was like a, like a Cecily level of, uh, is that what I'm thinking of? There was a cast member last, I think it was like a Cecily level of musical where it was like, okay, like, we, we get it. Um, I think we had a nice break. Um, I'm going to disagree though. I don't think three years is good enough. I like the, I like the two year, the two year feels good to me. Um, very much like, uh, like I liked the Adam driver streak, but to be honest, I'm even more a big fan of the one year. Let's talk about, you know, the John hams, uh, the Mulaney's like back to back, but to be honest, I'm greedy. I'm needy. I want to see you like what I want you to come around all the time. Like, come on, I host SNL, just do it. Um, so, uh, I'm not really mad at the idea of like people I like coming around. It's people that I don't like that I don't want to see. It's a fascinating question. I would be curious for our friends who are watching us live in the chat tonight. What is the right amount of time for a good host to take a break between two episodes? Is it one year, two years, three years, or maybe even more than that? I want to know what you think, because I think it's a fascinating discussion to talk about. Can I ask, do cameos count? No, no. I would say just just a host. Just checking. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because people can cameo as many times as they need to, you know? Yeah. I think Shalom. But does that scratch the itch for you, right? TJ? Like you want to see someone, are you do you get is that enough? You know, it it does a little bit because I think about uh the Donald Glover episode, which is like one of my favorite episodes of all time. Um I think about like, man, I just really want Donald to show up on the show again. And he literally did because he was just still in New York. Like two weeks later, he showed up in the Tina Fey episode. I I have a good example. Uh, Pedro Pascal last year, an yes. amazing host. He shows up this season. Like that scratches the itch for me, him appearing yeah. back to back years. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, that's a guy who I want to be involved with the show, but I don't need him to host every year. And I don't need him to host this year because he made a really good appearance. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. No, I, I, mean, I, agree I, was, completely. I was waiting for my Alec Baldwin itch to be scratched for so long. And I finally got it this episode. So <laughs> thank you, SNL, for that. <laughs> 
what a random choice but like i'm it, it was just enough it what alec was a case of it being just enough time because he was around too much but like i don't know yeah the show does this thing sometimes like it does with john ham like it's doing with john ham where it's like do you remember this person like we thought you liked them where are they oh it's been 12 years now you want to bring them back now you want to bring mick jagger back like it's the show is like if the show was like somebody i was dating it would be the most toxic relationship i would ever like it's like i don't know if you like me or not but like i'm still here like i don't know the show's gaslighting us all right. On that note, let's get into the episode itself, which kicked things off with our first foray into the 2024 presidential election. This time we're going to get the GOP potential nominees debating each other. And it opens up with what you would expect, which is let's figure out which cast members are going to play which candidates. So we get Molly Carney as Chris Christie, Heidi Gardner as Nikki Haley. John Higgins in a very surprising move as Ron DeSantis, uh, Ego as Ramaswamy, Devin Walker as Tim Scott. And we're like, okay, we're cooking here. They were starting to develop who, who's the field of candidates that we might see as the potential uh, impressions we're going to see many weeks in a row on SNL. But they flip the cold open completely on its head when Trump returns uh, for the, I think it was his 16th time playing Trump on the show, JJ, and does the Molly Shannon cold open from last season, which was the Easter one, freezes everybody in time, and then talks in front of them and, you know, has some fun with everybody in the background, getting very, very meta with this cold open. Um, I'm having a love-hate relationship with this cold open because there's things that I absolutely loved in it and things that I absolutely hated in it. I don't know how to feel about it, so I'm really excited to talk to our friends here about this cold open. Haskell, what did you think of the Republican debate cold open? So the first thing to me, the the big news coming out of that is is Higgins playing Ronda Sanctimonious. Uh, and I have so many questions, right? When I first saw it, I thought, okay, the Please Don't Destroy movie is coming out soon. Are they throwing them a bone, giving him a little extra time, getting him in the cold open for this? Or do they really see him playing uh, Ron DeSantis moving forward? I think there's always been little, since Please Don't Destroy got there and kind of blew up, like there's been talks of like, you know, is one of them going to become the Andy Samberg of Lonely Island and join the cast? Is this a little bit of a sort of tryout for that so many questions uh as it relates to just one simple casting which was kind of interesting um as for the cold open itself jaj is so good at this trump and i'm starting to wonder if he's too good at this trump like he's so like he might be in an era where like i think snl gets criticized a little too much for everybody being uh, cue card heavy he seems to be like he's not finding the cue cards anywhere like this all feels like it's coming off the top of his head the issue is he's so good at these stream of consciousness trump thoughts that sometimes i feel like he forgets to hit his punchlines. like sometimes it's okay to slow down and hit a joke before you have to get to the next kind of stream of thought and that's kind of like where i am i've just like I, I watched Alec Baldwin come on the show and monologue as Trump for so long. And then J.A.J. came in and kind of spiced the character up. And that was exciting. But like, I'm just so over a Trump monologue. Like, I want to see him 
do something. I want to see some blocking on the stage. I want to see some interaction with some people that that's where it's just starting to lose me a little bit. Let me comment on this Ron DeSantis choice here, or as uh, JJ said, as Trump. And look who they got playing Meatball Ron. <laughs> One of the Destroy Boys. Well, that was a huge surprise because uh, and I could, I've been waiting like a year and a half to talk about this. So in the summer of 2022, uh, I attended Just for Laughs for the first time as media. And SNL always sends up people to Just for Laughs producers to evaluate new talent and potentially book them on the show. So I got to have some really interesting conversations that summer. And one of the things I found out was they were already preparing at the time for a Ron DeSantis impression on the show. And out of the new cast members, they were thinking uh, about if one of them could play Ron DeSantis because it really seemed like it was going to be DeSantis and Trump going at it for a while during this election. And so for, for a long time, I would have said Marcelo was the guy. Like he just had the build for it. He had the look. So I was totally expecting that they were grooming him for this very important political impression. So that I was like floored when I saw John Higgins there. It made sense to everything Haskell said, PDD movie coming out. It made sense for the bit. But I wouldn't be stunned if in the future this goes over to Marcelo. So Kirsten, what do you think of that and everything else you saw from the cold open? Marcelo would be great for that. I think the joke on this was the 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 comment that they called out, which was, look, they they are committing so little to Ron that they just grabbed that guy and put him in. Like, that's what made it amazing. Because I was surprised, too. You used to see when Tina was only writing or when Seth was only writing, you'd see them pop up here and there. And that was kind of, you know, a funny Easter egg. So I, I thought it was one of those. But then when they came at it with, you know, the Zach Morris freeze and went all meta on us, I thought that turned it from an open that I was expecting to one I wasn't expecting. So I, I enjoyed the way they constructed that and that the comments he made about each of those candidates was hilarious. And John was put there for exactly that reason. So it still could be Marcel in the future if Ron's around. Um, but I like that they chose John for that reason. Who's Zach Morris? Uh, from Save by the Bell. Save by the Bell, remember? <laughs> mm. Freeze! I think so. No? I was like just a teeny bit before my time. Add that to the list of things. Oh, I was old enough for Boy Meets World, but I wasn't old enough for uh, <laughs> Save when by I the was Bell. when I was homesick from school. I would watch Save by the Bell every day. Like that was mm -hmm. the show. So uh, that put it put it on your watch list, TJ. It's an all timer. Pass. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you like you would like it. There's there's some good stuff in there. Um, all right, TJ. What do you think of those cold open uh, Republican debate? I, I, to be honest, this cold open made me reflect on how much I feel like I've 180 on Trump impressions. I have no idea why in a ham sandwich. It's like at some point, just like seeing JJ in the Trump makeup would just make me groan. But I think that was just, I think honestly, it was leftover Alec Baldwin wear out is what it was. And so now I've seen them, I've seen the light. I had my come to Jesus or come to my JJ in this uh, like moment. And I I thought this was really funny. I thought it was even funnier that like I think the day after this, Tim Scott dropped out of the race, and so I was like, "Well, there goes Devin." Uh, uh, <laughs> like something about that made me burst out laughing when I watched this uh, today. Um, I thought that was so funny. That one percent crack. Um, 
I I don't know. Like, I don't even want to give Ron DeSantis, even in joke form, like a moment of my time. So, like, I, I think you guys kind of, like, hit on it all. I will just touch on uh, all the stuff with Ego. I just, I really wanted her to break. I really did. I, I like, it, it felt... Like it was there in the writing, so I'm only about Ego broke the first time, but like you know, by this time they've already done it a couple of times, so there's no reason she's gonna do it. But, um, that meandering it's it works, and I do wonder, am I am I not tired of it yet because it's not on every single episode? Like, is that what it is? Like, it feels still so, so far, it still feels nicely spaced out. Like, if it showed up to me in the next two episodes, I'm like, okay, like calm down. But if I get maybe one before Christmas. I'm okay with it. Like it doesn't feel like Trump is drowning the show like it did for four years. Um, so I think as long as JJ, like we and we all now we now know J Open is uh, JJ is no longer just cold opens. Like we have seen him do many things. Um, I don't know who Werner Hartzog was, but that accent was really funny. Um, and <laughs> you really need to catch up on your pop culture, teaching. Well, I'm on this show, so clearly I know a lot about pop culture, but, like, there's just certain things that I just don't know. Like, I've never seen Lord Ask of the Rings. Add it to the know. list. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Like, the listeners are playing bingo. Um, TJ doesn't know a reference. Um, no, but, like, we, we've seen J.J. now in the past. <laughs> the, uh, the middle square will be white sitcom. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I... That's just funny for me. Like that's, I really like that. Okay, no, no, but um, we've got JJ's gotten a chance to show like a, a spread of ability and not just impressions, um, but also um, like characters. Um, well, I mean, not characters. I just I, I I enjoy him so much more now. Um, I do still want him nicely spaced out, even as like we if we get to a Biden versus Trump or a Biden versus DeSantis or you know, the ghost of Obama versus whatever, like you can dream. Um, but like, I, I just still need it to be reasonably spaced out. Like it's been, there's been, we've been on a nice political cool down these past few years. And I know that we're coming up on an election year. I know what I'm asking is not make sense, but I feel like I still am enjoying JJ because they're giving us him in the right amount. Um, and yeah. I think they're not overusing him. Yeah, I, I think the actual real-life events will dictate how much we end up seeing J.J. as Trump, unfortunately. I, I don't think A man could like, dream, John. A yeah, man can you dream. dream. You could dream. But I, I just want to put a finer point on what you said about the ego stuff, because I do think that was my favorite part of this whole yeah, thing. Yeah, that cracked me up. Uh, yeah, when J.J. was going like this. And look this. at who SNL has playing him. Poor ego. And then here. She used to be Lisa from Temecula. Now she's... Vivek from Ramaswamy. <laughs> those, I really, really lines, sold that line. Yeah. We're fantastic. <laughs> it's so great. And uh, I'll say, like, again, like it, something we talked about on Saturdays in the Hot Take Show was how, like, fan service this episode was. I really love that the writers are, like, doing this. They know, like, th that there's a show within the show. And there's nothing better than seeing stuff like this for the true hardcore fans of SNL. So to me, uh, I would rather see J.A.J. as Trump make SNL jokes and like you know, have the head eat its tail, then then have him go ramble on about things that nobody's like trying to think like how is this relevant? That works better for me. I agree. Hey, can I give it up to the makeup people because I don't know if you looked at it, but his neck waddle was so realistic looking. It was perfect, 
and I guess I checked out a little bit of that sketch because I clearly was looking at the neck waddle. But I have on my notes here, like that neck waddle, I thought I'd never, things I'd never thought I'd say. W look at how good it is. Slow clap for the hair and makeup people. Yeah. Shout 100%. out to the neck. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's talk about the other sketches from this episode that we really want to get into. And Haskell, we're going to start with you. What would you like to kick things off with? Uh, you know, I when I saw that Chalamet was hosting again, in my wildest dreams, I could not have imagined uh, how much of a sequel this was going to be to his first appearance. Um, and as somebody who literally four times a week sings Tiny Horse to myself, like it has been stuck in my head for years. Uh, I was so excited to see the sketch come back. Um, it's The original is just one of those really stupid SNL things that they just hit with so much force that you can't help but enjoy it. So I was like, so excited to see it come back. But what I really liked was that so often SNL is like, hey, you want to see that sketch again? Great. Uh, one of the cast members has left. So we're going to replace one of the cast members. And then we're just going to use the exact same like transcript and kind of give you the same sketch. But this was a true sequel to the sketch. Like it played off of everything that happened in the first one. But they really switched it up to give this like Terminator post-apocalyptic sort of vibe to it in this setting really i think threw everybody off the scent so when you did learn that it's now giant horse uh it it just played so well i mean i, I had so much fun watching this episode and this sketch really kind of shows that like it was really fun i was so excited the next day uh to to show my wife i was like you have to watch this one on youtube i didn't i made her close her eyes so she didn't see the title and i just stared at her until she noticed what was going on um it was so fun uh jaj gets a really good sort of darth sidious type character in this um it gets this weird sort of return of the jedi plot at the end of it and then giant horse is redeemed and there he is my tiny horse is back um, and then again, you still get this, like, it is so catchy and it's going to be stuck in my head for so long. Again, three more years, both of them will be stuck in my head. Just like that sort of thing. It gets me. That's why I watch the show. And that's why I watch weekly is to, so it can build off of its own lore and you can, you can be rewarded for being a longtime fan. Just my favorite sketch of the night. It's one of my favorites of or the original is one of my favorites of the last 10 years. So I just felt so rewarded to, to get the follow-up to it. Yeah, I think one of the big questions we had coming out of Saturday night was, if you're not a fan of SNL, do you understand what's going on in this sketch? And from everything I saw online, the answer is a clear no. <laughs> like Nobody understands what is happening here if you haven't seen the first sketch. And that might sound like a bad thing, but you're not going to catch me complaining about that on this network. We're going to be praising the fact that SNL went all in on it. TJ, do you have a rebuttal? I no, I, I just I, I agree wholeheartedly because this uh, I was watching the show this uh, this week with my best friend um, and she uh, it was I, I haven't we we've been friends for a long time and like there have been like plenty of afternoons where I'm like, Oh, you got to see like this sketch and this sketch and this sketch. And we'll sit for like two hours and I'm just, I'm, I'm curating, you know, like I'm, I'm sure we've all done it before. You're curating sketches. You're like, all right, so we're yeah, going to okay. watch 
these four back to back and it's going to be like hilarious and you know you, you you're like a dj of snl sketches you know exactly what to pick to get that person to watch and so i've done that a million times with her but this is our first time watching the, a full episode with me and seeing the show live and i don't know if it was our first time watching the show live like ever but like it was our first time watching it together and boy howdy like it was it was hard energy in the room because she had never seen tiny horse and so i you know when like you really want to enjoy something but you don't want the person that you're with that's like there to drown and like like what is this i gotta get it and so i couldn't fully throw myself in because i really wanted to make sure that that was like okay so because like i'm finding myself turning okay so there was this horse and like like i found myself about to like lay out the premise of the sketch but i'm realizing even though if i lay out the premise of that sketch to her as as i did Oh my God, it did not help whatsoever. <laughs> like it, it did not matter. Like this was full on just like a rare chance where like you had to have watched like this series or something. Um, what I, what, that's what I feel like when I watch like the Falconer. Um, Falconer. But, it's, but you know what it is though, yeah. TJ, you hit on something which yeah. I think is, is really important just to explain to people like why this stuff matters, which is like, yeah, we want like in general people to like be able to watch an SNL sketch and enjoy it. But we also want to encourage people to watch the full episode of SNL in the way that it was originally intended to be watched. I know I'm like, you know, speaking to Haskell's heart here, but the like, you know, SNL now is like all chopped up and skewed where people are just like checking out little bits of the show. That is the future of the show. I'm not in denial. But at the same time, like you are being rewarded for having gone back and watched the episode and enjoyed that a few years ago. And then it comes back. And like, these are the moments that we really live for as fans of the show is to be like, that was for me. So no, I, I'm not anti yeah. that at all like well, clearly because i'm on the show i'm not anti that but boy howdy it was i've watched the show with friends plenty of times now and it was a very different energy and by the way she didn't hate the sketch it just she had no idea what was going on and so it was just a lot harder you know that group laugh you get when you're really enjoying a sketch like yeah she and i had that group laugh with the uh the, the sketch that uh that trost did um like you know we're both like really enjoying this but like for the tiny horse I'm watching this because I'm like, wow, this set looks really good. Wait, this is Tiny Horse? Like, like my reaction is like, this is Tiny Horse? But for her, she's just appreciating the set design and, like, how good the sketch looks. And so I'm very much pro that because I want to be rewarded for having watched that the show. Like, I'd love to see a sequel to the, you know, hey, everybody, I just broke my arm slipping in grape jelly sketch from Emma Stone. But these kinds of things aren't always going to happen. Not everybody has that at the top Put of mind. Put a pen in that. Oh, my God. I'm, oh God, I wish. Um. Oh, God, I love Emma Stone. Um, but, you know, um, oh, who knows if we get Emma Stone hosting soon? She has a show coming out. Yeah, Sorry. you never know. I got distracted by my thought. But, yeah, I just – I it was it was such a different experience watching that sketch. Like, I'm so glad you guys got to really enjoy it. And my friend didn't do anything bad, but I was so distracted because I was like, this is not – like, it is – it makes no sense <laughs> at all. Let's get Kirsten's thoughts on this sketch. What do you think of Giant Horse? Well, I think you can't make all sketches for all people because then you would just have a big bowl and nothing. Um, you know, the, I love the fact that watchers are rewarded and, you know, the Venn diagram of a sketch for everyone is, is yeah, like, what is that, right? Uh, I, I think that doesn't lead to interesting things. So I was here for it. I love that they integrated a bit of the Dune aspect without doing a Dune ripoff. 
And so we had this sci-fi kind of world um, with funny characters. You've got the tropes. You've got uh, Bowen as Socket, the like half android character. Like I thought it was going to be full sci-fi. And then like you, TJ, I thought, whoa, this is a tiny horse. Um, and he was giant. Um, I was fascinated by the kind of uh, claymation work or whatever with giant horse's eyes and all the emotion they got out of a clay horse, whatever that was. Really clever. Um, I like that that tiny horse had some real feelings and had some remorse and regret and they displayed all of these things. Um, it's I feel so silly saying this about a, a claymation horse. Um, but I was glad to see him back, even though he had been evil, he's now good again. It was a lot of production, but because of Dune and the integration of these things, I'm okay with it. It wasn't without Dune, it would have been like, holy smokes, you guys went really far to bring Tiny Horse back, but it ended up being this like wacky recipe that resulted in something actually pretty good. Was it a Dune Can I just reference? Throw a, yeah, I, I think it was. Yeah, sort of. It was supposed to be really? like, oh, I yeah. Thought it was like I think the, the beginning was supposed to be like Dune esque, and then mm-hmm. so oh, you're okay. thinking it, it's going to be something like that, and then there was the throw off. I'm going to throw out like a super crazy fan theory, but okay. part of me was like, I wish, just based on SNL's history of claymation, like Taskal, tell me if I'm crazy about this. What if Tiny Horse or Giant Horse crushed somebody, and it turns out it was Mr. Bill? And it was oh like, God. oh no! <laughs> what a what a great like man! You'd really talk about people not really understanding what was going on. There'd be a lot of people who'd be like, "What? What was that reference?" Even like, <laughs> I feel like long time SNL fans uh, would be like, I, "I don't know who that is." Um, but it'd be cool to really kind of give a nod to some early SNL stuff with that. Oh, do- sometimes you got to do stuff just for that few people. That is what oh, oh, signs you up for life. Do we yeah. think that they were more in favor of doing this because they probably were able to use some of the same assets from that sketch of years ago? Because claymation takes forever to make and to do it and pull it off in like five or six days is, you know, you can, of course, get only but so many shots. That's why like Robot Chicken has like so many time between seasons. So do we think that they just like were more in favor of doing it again because like maybe they could just at least reuse some of the animations and some of the the assets from? Is it real claymation or animated claymation? Then? I, I don't know. I don't know. The eyes, the pieces around the eyes were changing. Like I think they held a steady shot of giant horse like this and then they were just adjusting the little pieces on the eyes to cradle that emotion. So I think yeah. there there's some way to do it to take the burden off themselves. But I'm pretty sure it wasn't CG, like that there were actual pieces moving. Now I'm going to go watch it again. And I'm willing to bet it's easy. I'm and like, because, well, claymation is not easy in general, but I'm willing to bet it's maybe easier to animate a horse because it's been done before. You're not doing something new. You're just like a horse running, I'm assuming, is like you can find a template for that. or you, Like it'd be easier to find design ideas for it because it's simplistic. I didn't get much catchphrase though. Oh, go ahead. I will say if the question is like, it takes forever to do. It's near impossible to do in just a couple of days. The SNL crew can do it. Like yeah, I'm not I, saying they can. I don't care what it is. They, like they can do it. It, it. It's incredible. Like yeah, yeah. I didn't get my go on get though. I was waiting for another one of those. Oh yeah, that <laughs> would. Because uh. I can say no, that to certain people, and they know. They know. 
That would have been uh, very good here. And I'll also uh, give a shout out to Stephen Castillo, former SNL writer who wrote the original, who comes back again, uh, probably for the first time since he's left the show, to write this new version of Tiny Horse with uh, Dan Gula. They did it together. Also, Jake Nordwin and Ben Silva on this one as well. So great job to the entire team there. Kirsten, over to you for the sketch that you would like us to talk about. Uh, I think this is the standout and it actually is not the standout because of our host, although he is in it and he, you know, he has a role in it. It is the incredible introduction and the amazing, not first impression, but big impression of Chloe Trost with Little Orphan Cassidy. How could you make a better out of the gate entry? She showed off her ability to carry a sketch, to carry this character, her pacing, her rhythm are great. Her, she can sing. Wow, can she sing? But she did it in such a humorous way. So where Cecily left a bit of a void there with the singing, no concerns. We now know someone else who can get in there and 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 use their voice in that way. Um, it was a fun premise. And what an opportunity and a vehicle for her to say, I am here, I have arrived, I should be here, and I'm not going anywhere. And that was really, really exciting. And from what I've seen online, I'm not alone in thinking that. Yeah, I mean, we are pretty used to these new cast members of the last few years making a strong impression on the weekend update desk when you know we get to see that and this is their big breakout moment. It's more rare when you get to see a new cast member be given the spotlight in their own sketch within the first few episodes. And boy, did she deliver. I mean, she came out and showed how talented a performer she is. Uh, makes you question a little bit why she wasn't hired last year when the you know she mentioned in one of the YouTube videos where they're doing the Q&As about how uh, she was very close to becoming a cast member and ultimately wasn't because to me, like she is... Like she could be as talented as anybody who's been hired in the last few years. I was so, so impressed with the sketch. We got little orphan Cassidy and TJ. I'd love to know what you think of it. I mean, just, just saying if we got five cast members, like I think we'd be groaning. Like if we got five cast member last year, like it almost be close to the, uh, you could do a sequel to that Arctic monkey. No, what is it? Uh, arcade fire. Um, isn't there a band called the Arctic monkeys? Sorry. Yes. Uh, but you could do a sequel to the, um, the arcade fire, like, or new cast member sketch. Like, four was a lot but we I, I love the four that we got but like five um so i kind of love that it was just chloe this season like i'd love that it was just her um i feel like this past few seasons with you know people like sarah and jj even aristotle um most of them i would say in the past four years these new cast members have gotten a chance to have like a little solo piece um even lauren holt got one I mean, it was a little bit later in the season but now they really seem to be trying to either they're trying to make these newbies um they're trying to really make some space for them or they're doing it really well and given how recent aristotle leaving was i'm going to say it's more that the new more of the newbies are doing very well because i'm think it makes me chloe doing so well here made me remember a time when like john rudnitsky or luke null like kind of those like mid anyone like kind of post paul Britton that was like a one season like wonder up until like 2020 or so we sort of had these sort of like one season wonders that we they didn't really sort of have this little star piece that i feel like a lot of these new cast members even aristotle got like there's there is a little star piece in the first half of the season that they're getting where it's like oh 
like in an in an all might esque way like i am here like you know um that's for the anime nerds um so i smiled so much while i was also laughing like i feel like actually i have a question for haskell here haskell you're a comic have you gotten to that point in have you gotten to the point yet as a as a stand up where when you're watching somebody and you're enjoying something you but you don't like laugh are you laughing less when you're seeing something you enjoy you know i've really just hit the point where i'm starting to make people laugh myself um after <laughs> 7 years no um i do i think there is a bit of an appreciation for the craft where you're like i might not be laughing but i really appreciate the technical yeah. skills are going into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is also the really good ones make you do both. Oh, of course. And so right. I'm, I'm a big, like all of us here, like I'm a huge comedy nerd. And so sometimes a lot of times I'll slip into my appreciation. I'm, I'm watching something, but if I'm watching it with a friend, like I know for sure I'm going to like laugh even more, but if I'm by myself, I'm pretty quiet. I wasn't by myself and I was with a friend, but this one got like, it, it's those involuntary last versus the ones that like just like work this not only made me laugh a lot because who i did not expect that white girl to come out with that world like i did not expect that to come out of her <laughs> and for it also to sound good and like i'm not gonna lie i was like even though like a lot of the songs are supposed to be jokes in this episode i'm not gonna lie i thought there was a lot of catchiness going on and i thought this fit along with it today like this fit along with the two like and just I, SNL does this all the time, where the the whole bit is that oh somebody's the worst, they're worse than Britta Perry. Like it's someone's just the worst. And how many times can you do that? But like I don't know. This this just worked from the moment. I don't know. This is my sick sense of humor. The moment that there's a sign at the top of the sketch, because a lot of times SNL does that. They'll just do like a little card and fade in. But it said uh. Was it said Mrs. Pippin stuffs something something for unwanted girls, and I don't know why home like for home, girls. home for unwanted girls. I don't know why that made me laugh so much. I was like, what a terrible name for a nonprofit. Um, but like, I, I, I'd love to like. I went to Chloe's Instagram like for this one because I and I realized I wasn't following her one and two. It made me wonder. Oh snap! Like you know, is she gonna maybe tell us a little bit about some of the background? On the sketch, is this something she had done on the road, like Aristotle was doing Angelo? Um, so I, this it, like it made me happy because I was like, man, like what a good solo star piece for her, but also really funny, like very funny. Yeah. And I thought Chalamet was a great straight man. It makes no sense that he actually kind of does, but it's also stupid that he's the moon, but it also works, <laughs> like. <laughs> Like I just really liked the sketch, and my uh, my friend who was watching with me, that what that was her favorite. So whenever somebody is a more casual person, I'm assuming you all do this too. Like watch for like what does the casual person kind of like take to like. Now I'm kind of in like my partner. I'm infecting her like like Heather. Like she doesn't watch this every week, but she's with me. She like knows and she's learning to. She she'll correct herself from saying skit and she'll be like, oh, I'm so sorry, I meant sketch. Like you know she's 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 being inf- <laughs> right. Um, like she's being infected by my culture. But my 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 best friend like she you know doesn't know any of that. So it was really great to see like that was the one that got her she doesn't know chloe trost at all and so it's really cool yeah. that like the new cast member could have that like amazing effect that somebody that doesn't watch the show was like i loved that that made me laugh like we were both enjoying it so much so hats off like applaud to chloe absolutely fantastic i i just think 
like the singing was so good and i don't know i, I heard that she could sing but i didn't know that she could sing to this level like this was maya rudolph levels of singing like cecily's a really good singer like continuing in that lineage of great snl vocalists that to me like her range not just in her ability to sing but in her ability to perform on snl grew so tremendously for me that i can't wait to see what she's going to do down the road haskell what did you think of the sketch little orphan cassidy so much to unpack here i mean so much like First, let me just say, as a Patriots fan, as I watch Bill Belichick throw his legacy away with just terrible drafting and terrible roster management at the end of his career, at what we assume is towards the end of Lawrence's career, he's doing the <laughs> exact opposite. He is like building this incredible roster. Uh, my hot take for this season is that you could take just the cast members that Lauren has added in the last three years, and you could build an incredible version of SNL. Like, I think he is he is just hitting home runs left and right. Chloe Tro showing that with this one. I mean, the ability to both, like, jump in with, like, what was kind of a funny singing voice at first. Like, I almost thought at first she was going for, like, oh, she's going to be this terrible singer. And then jumping in and out of, like, showing her range and singing in a funny way where you needed to be funny, but then singing in like a very sort of uh, talented, catchy way when she needed to just built that sketch up so much. And everybody has said it. Can't wait to see more from her. My only advice to Chloe Trost is you can sing in such an, an amazing way, but that does not mean we want to see you as an old drunk Broadway or golden era Hollywood star Every week, <clears throat> Cecily. Um, <laughs> we love you, Cecily. You did it too much at the end. Okay, so Chloe Trost, we want to see that build. There's so much. There's so much more going on. Like Timothy Chalamet as the Moon is this incredible kind of straight man to the cast, uh, to the sketch. Like kind of building off of what she's saying. He's he's reacting in these like perfect ways. He's he's going high when he needs to. He's going low when he needs to. That's incredible. And then, John, I saw that you, you put something out um, on social media. What, when do we start talking about Streeter as an amazing SNL writer? And is he uh, – I don't know where you level him. All I really know is Streeter – the team of Streeter, Seidel, and Mikey Day, they just know what an SNL sketch is supposed to look like. They're so good at it. But what I was really happy that they did this week is I think a lot – like if you've watched the show enough, I think week to week – you know right off the bat. John, I'm sure you know right off the bat each week. Okay, that was the Mikey and Streeter sketch this week. You can just tell from the pacing. You can tell from the jokes. But they tend to do a lot of like highlighting the host and then having Mikey play off of the host, whether it be whether he be kind of the outrageous one or if he is the uh, the straight man. They did a really good job this week of using their ability to highlight a new cast member. And I thought that was awesome. So yes, I think it, there was a lot of Timothy Chalamet uh, stuff that the internet's going to be unpacking. There's a lot that uh, the, the internet's going to unpack about this episode. I think in time though, when we look back, this will kind of be the sketch that we'll go, Oh yeah, that was the second Timothy Chalamet episode. And I, you go back and you watch that sketch a few times a year. Totally agree. Like, 
the point about Sarita Seidel and Mikey Day as a team, they're, they're absolutely fantastic. And they helped write this sketch uh, with Chloe Trost. And I, I just have to put a finer point on it. It's been like a while since we had a writer on the show that I could absolutely say is like, you're getting into that pantheon of some of the greatest writers in SNL history. Like, you know, we go back, you know, I think, I think Julio Torres was like a really big talent that was there for a few years that put up some really good stuff. Mulaney before that, um, you know, and then you start thinking about some of the writers back in the eighties with uh, Smigel and Conan and, and then, you know, going all the back to Jim Downey and some of the Frank Davis, like some of the great teams that have ever been at the show. And I really think the team of Mikey and Streeter for the contributions on the show and off the show are hall of fame worthy. Like we're getting there, like through four episodes, I'm just Pete in that first episode was absolutely fantastic. Then we had the age of the discovery and the return of the, the right track, the waffle house sketch last week with Washington's dream this week with this sketch, like every single week they are bringing it to the show and uh, just want to like give them a ton, a ton of praise for something like this. Um, Go ahead. Fingers crossed for another strike so we can rank the all time writers on the show. Hey, 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 Oh my god! <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Um, you know what? One of my favorite lines was from that sketch too. Was how old are you? Twenty six plus eighteen months. So okay, twenty seven. Like 26? they did that twice, and like, I liked it both. Like, like such a simple thing, but I actually laugh out loud all the time. So yes. Here's a couple things that I did clip though that I think uh, like to to all of your points. Like this one, this was the first line that I was like to Haskell's point that she wasn't bad singing. Like she was trying to sing and it just was so good. Was when she made this pivot into this. Is it cause I'm 26 years old? And then like you had that turn with Timothy. It was like, oh wait, now I understand why nobody's adopting you. And I'll just say one more thing that gave me a really good laugh. Um, this reminded me of something. I don't know if any of you guys had the same thought. Step one, while my new dad is sleeping, I make a mold of his teeth. Yeah, step two. Yeah. <laughs> it does. Can't, oh, it reminds me of Dick in the Box, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I cannot yeah. think of that. So, okay, I just want to also point out something about Chalamet and his hosting here that, like, I realized I usually, like, I don't know, you have to do it right. And maybe it's because... I've only seen him in a couple things, so I'm not seeing him do it all the time. But Chalamet has a great um, volume escalation that I feel like does play well to to his humor. And I, to, for an example, and by the way, I will also say, given the fact that he looks like he could play Peter Pan, I do not expect him to be able to go to the deep registers that I can go to with my own voice. Um so like the boy looks like if you gave him some like some fairy dust that he would fly. So like again, like my props because wow, I'm challenging my biases every day. However, the moon the in the moon sketch is a point, and not John, I don't know if you have the clip of it, but when do you have Chalamet reacting to uh Tro saying that he's 26? That she's 26? I do not. Okay. So the way that he's able to react to Tros when he's like, you're 26, like his volume escalation and like the deepening, I feel like goes really well. And it, it cracks me up. Uh, that's example one, two in the rap round table. And the second one, uh, when he says, I don't know who none of y'all are. Um, maybe it's also like, he's able to get that hip hop cadence. I feel like that 
but he's able to make it work with humor. And I think the thing for me that like sells it the most is in this, I've gone back and re I just rewatched that episode. This, uh, his last episode last, sorry, I rewatched his first episode this week in prep for this, but I found myself just really enjoying it. And I went back and rewatched multiple times. Cause it's so damn funny. The sports max sketch that he did with Pete Davidson at the end of the first one. And you guys know, I'm not a sports person, but that sketch kills me um and it's not just Chalamet it's actually anytime they cut to somebody with a mustache in that sketch but <laughs> but like there's a moment where um Chalamet is uh he's like he, there's a moment where Chalamet uh picks up a bunch of papers um and he says like I have here sworn affidavits from 500 Jets fans um like that like say that the Jets won and there's something about the way he's able to get to that good yell that it's Andrew Dismukes like, in my opinion. Like there's they could sort both of, do something like that. Yeah. But it's it's maybe in maybe in the swagger, but I really appreciate Chalamet's voice. Um like I just I he does a good yell and plenty of comedians do that and like I'm a big believer in like there's some people who like like to just scream and like they think that that's being funny. No, and that's not what I'm trying to say at all, but there is something about like great inflection and great boosting of voice that Chalamet, it makes me laugh when he like is able to, to get to like anger that I think uh, it, this is like a really odd observation, but I just really appreciated it thinking about like some of the notes here and like uh, some of the, his first hosting gig. hundred percent. All right, TJ, well, let's hear the sketch that you want us to talk about. So you may think I want to talk about the rap round table sketch, but I mean, we know like that's, this too easy. So I want to challenge myself to bring up, the calm app sketch and one because when i rewatched the episode i did forget about this sketch i think it's a sketch you're not going to remember because there's so many other good things in this piece that it's not the first thing however we talked about a lot of the good stuff here and i forgot this also worked for me but not because of anything chalamet was doing in this sketch you see chalamet going in actually just quick pause why the hell was he wearing a backpack like i get it new yorkers wear backpacks a lot when they like walk around but why would you wear the backpack when you get in the building? Like every New Yorker, they take off their backpack and they put it down. Why would you wear it when you're in the voice of Brooke? That's the size of the point. Um, but like, he's like, you know, he's like doing a quick like voice gig, short, whatever for the Calm app. The thing that stuck out to me about this sketch was how incredibly rude um, Andrew Dismukes and Punky were to him. At one point they called him, and I quote, a chatty little bitch. And like, she whispered it under her mouth. Um, Andrew said something that was so foul and with such like venom that I was like the disrespect in this one statement, I think at one point Chalamet is saying something. And then Andrew says like, Hey, bud, how about we try a little bit? No, we try a little less chatter next time. And it was just so like, that's not the exact line. And I'm not going to be able to. Like, oh, the, here's, here's the line that really okay, got yeah. me with, which what you're referring to. It's this one. Mm -hmm. You are going to drive me crazy, baby boy. You just have to gab, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> it, it feels like this mukes is going to beat him up. Like, it feels like, it, I, I get that. I'm also now getting that the second joke in the sketch is that the creators of the Calm app or the producer of the Calm app will beat your ass if you upset them enough. Like, it felt like there was a lot of aggression. And I think I really appreciated that juxtaposition. Um, but it also, for me, one was another just appreciation of Andrew Dismukes, um, like just playing this, like, this pettiness that he did in the. Uh, when he was like his similar kind of pettiness, like when he was buried in sand, it's like, he's kind of really able to pay that, that he's really able to play that venom very well. And two, and to be honest, the, the past few episodes have been making me think this punky. 
I feel like I'm just seeing Punky more. And I um I got a chance to go to um Che and Joe's were at Radio City Music Hall a few weeks ago. Um, and I think I mentioned this on the show before during that time. Punky um said something to the it was Punky, Marcelo, Che and Joe's were all there, and a few other, I think Alex English was there too. And at one point, Punky says to the audience, Hey, um, I want uh, like I had this idea for this sketch, uh, and it was the Latasha or the Letitia Jefferson sketch that she did uh, about a week tuna or two una. ago. Hmm? Tuna Una. Uh, tuna Una. Whichever was yes. the Bad Bunny. Yeah, the sketch she did with Bad Bunny recently. And I was, I was, that made me feel joyful because I was like, oh my God, I was there when she talked about it on stage, blah, blah, blah. And then Punky also said, like she said, like this year, she's really going to try to like go with the cuffs off. She's really going to try to just pitch whatever. And I feel like the show is just embracing Punky more in the past couple of episodes. Like I've seen, like seeing her in the cold, uh, not the cold, but seeing her in the monologue. Um, I don't know if that's going to continue, but I feel like we've wanted more Punky and I feel like we're getting it. Like, it feels like she's like, she's in her fourth year. And I feel like this is the first time she's felt like an actual cast member that's like there. And so um, it made me appreciate that because like, just when she called him like a chatty little bitch, I was like, that's, that's what we need from Punky. That's exactly what she's able to do. Well, great. Glad she's here. So um, yeah. yeah, I, uh, I just, I don't know. Somebody uses the word chatter in chatty in the sketch that uh it tickled me haskell what did you think of the calm app sketch um it's one of those sketches i don't know again if you've been watching the show long enough you kind of have an eye on the clock and you you, you get a little bit of that anxiety like oh my god how much are they going to cut up this sketch like do they have enough time to get into the what I, like the game of the sketch right you got to know what the game is you got to know what's yeah, going we don't on want a gilda and steve situation <laughs> and like it's just that's, I think, what kills a lot of sketches late in the night when they start ripping them apart is, is you don't get to play the game. What worked for this sketch, I think, a little bit is we've been in that sound booth so many times before. I think going in, you knew what the game was going to be. Somebody on one end of that sound booth was going to be doing something ridiculous or something unexpected. And then the other side of the sound booth is going to have to react to it. All you really had to figure out was who is going to be the straight man in this situation. So it turns out Chalamet is playing the straight man. I think he does a good job there. Um, even though it's something that I've seen before, I did um, enjoy, I, I think, the game of it all, which is he's in this no-win situation. Does he Is he supposed to yell with the script? But he can't yell because it's the Calm app, right? So it played really well um, for a last sketch of the night to not take a huge swing at something. It worked. It was really good. Um, and then we get a uh, a cameo at the end that I don't think people were really expecting. And, you know, uh, I'm sure the people at the show are fans of Alec Baldwin and have probably been debating when to pull the trigger on this camp. You can, you can, you can go. Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> you, t- you took your shot with that one. Um, but I'll say, uh, yeah, the most questions I had from people asking me uh, like stuff about this episode was what did I think of Alec Baldwin appearing at the end of this sketch? And honestly, I, I think that the truth is, is just, I feel like SNL is going to be celebrating Alec Baldwin, whether we agree with the decision or not next season. And they are using this opportunity to sort of, you know, let's get him out there. Let's, you know, 
shake the rust off and then he will go out next season and people won't be as critical of him on the show. So that was my like my thought. Uh, quick quick dream moment oh my god what if season 50 was all returning hosts like just just your dream lineup oh sorry Alice just, Baldwin OJ Simpson <laughs> uh, Blake, uh, Blake. Yeah. oh my god we should do a draft about that one day maybe if there's another like strike. a season 50 draft like yeah. if you want to <laughs> yeah Kirsten um what did you think of the sketch uh it wasn't my favorite um, I do love that we got to see more Punky. I always enjoy Dismukes, and I loved some of his lines that they almost got eaten up. Like the uh, uh, "My Bumble profile sucks, but I look like Brad Pitt" or something. Like there was something more there, but he just ate them so fast that I, they kind of didn't really get the moment that they deserved because there was something to unpack. Um, it feels a little bit like it was just uh, a tiny bit undercooked. That's all. It just needed a few more minutes in there, and I think pull one of those threads that seemed interesting because that's what takes it from Pascal, as you're saying, like we've seen this setup before. We know how it generally works, but what's the, what's the weird thread they're going to pull that takes it into a new place. And given that it was so late in the night, you would have thought that maybe they would take it somewhere wacky, but, um, but I think it was a bit of a miss. Um, and Alec Baldwin, I don't know, impartial. Like he kind of came in so quick and I was like, oh, there he is. And it was almost like you're saying, like just came in, people cheered and then it was done. And you're like, what, did I want to cheer for him? I don't know if I wanted to cheer for him, but I cheered for him because it felt so fast and like it just a reaction. We're used to it. And then it was just over. <laughs> Maybe that's how they just like, dipped our toes into it. I, th- I think that's okay. I think it, it, it was like they just, they eased our way into It's like when you dip your toes in the pool because you're not ready to fully go in. It's like, it was it was breezy. Yeah. I little didn't, Alec? Little Alec. <laughs> and also, like, we didn't have to think about it. Uh, to be honest, I'm surprised. I don't even think we can critique it. I think it's only something we can react. Like, it's, it is mm-hmm. not anything of substance. It's just like, oh, does that, it's literally like the nigga walking by us on the street. It's like, wait, was that was Alec Baldwin? Like, it's that's how fast yeah. it was. Yeah, well, I think what's interesting here, just to be frank about the Baldwin situation, is that I like thought his name was Alec. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, yeah, I, I think the the question is is like, do people feel? And I'm just being real. Do people feel conflicted about seeing Alec Baldwin on SNL more because of the uh, situation that happened, the very very unfortunate situation that happened on the movie set, um, which I believe is still being you know discussed about what type of consequences will end up being there for Alec or if that's over with I apologize I I just haven't followed the case in full but uh you know there was an off the field situation that happened or is it that he was just so um driven into the ground for all of us on SNL as Trump that we saw him every single week and we were like basically people in their minds couldn't separate Alec Baldwin and our feelings of Alec Baldwin from Trump and he became somewhat associated with Trump and that Trump era that it's like, oh, okay, this again. Like, I really do wonder as fans if it's more like the on the field stuff, the SNL Alex stuff, or it's the off the field stuff. So it is an interesting thing to think about. Again, maybe we'll save this conversation for when he inevitably is a big part of something next season. But it was weird. I just, I, I just thought the whole thing was kind of weird, if I'm being honest, uh, and and probably took away from a sketch that I think had a lot of momentum. Well, from two cast members, 
who really need the time to cook on SNL. Like Andrew and Punky need that time and they're great. So I just want to see it more. John, I have to ask you, and and, and Kirsten and Haskell, I wonder what you think. John has used the phrase has to cook or he's used the phrase cook several times, Mm -hmm. uh, both pre-recording and and now listeners. Um, John, is this just because uh, J.A.J. said like uh, said that he was cooking when he was on stage as Trump, which, by the way, great use of the word. I really love it. It was great. But is this now added itself into your vernacular? Is this how like slang gets gentrified? A hundred percent. Yeah, you know, just white guy and SNL says stuff and, and the, the posse follows. Um, but, but yeah, um, I'd say it more like it's more of a sports vernacular type of thing. I know you're not a sports person, but um, people, oh, for real. people I mean, I just assume every slang comes from like, you know, like black teens with exaggerated swagger. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, all right, well, let's uh, talk about one more space <laughs> that I want to dive into, uh, which, which I, I feel like... Um, I feel like we have to talk about the museum of hip hop sketch a little bit, which was the one where we got the return of uh, Timothy Chalamet. As uh, I just want to make sure I say this right, um, it starts with a dollar Smoke sign. Smoke the ass getter. There you go. Thank you. And uh, he has returned without his friend, uh, who's no longer uh, with us anymore, because he was fundraising for the homie mayor Eric Adams. <laughs> yeah, you got to lay low in Turkey for a minute. All right, so Pete is in Turkey, apparently. But yeah, uh, this was really, really fun. I mean, I said on Saturday they sort of had to do this because this was the thing that went like so viral. I think this was probably the most viral thing from season 46, unless I'm forgetting something else. So uh, no, I, I was, right. yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, during COVID, like a lot more eyeballs potentially on the show, even though the show looked kind of weird. But still, I mean, people were really, really into this. This got huge on TikTok at the time. And um, I really felt like they were going to do something with it. Was the sketch as strong as the first one? I don't know. I don't think so necessarily, because I felt like the concept that they really had was pretty original and fun last time, which was like, just these two guys are just going to continue to pretend to like be a part of the hip hop culture. And they're clearly not. Um, Whereas like we all knew what the joke was happening here. So it was like, can they elevate it? And can, can basically the game of the sketch to me this time was can Timothy win us over on charisma? And I think that he did. So let me, let me go and ask the round table what they think before we do. Let's go back one more time and listen to Timothy's rap from this sketch. Cling, cling, cling. Man, you capping. Oh, ah. Cling, 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 cling. Oh, you capping. Drip, splash, water, drip, splash, splash, drip, water. I thought somebody was gonna gonna spank me through the screen. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, Not that kind of website. <laughs> no, okay. Just, yeah, I oh, know. <laughs> The only SNL uh, network. Uh, Haskell, what did you think of the Museum of Football sketch? Um, yeah, I think you really hit the nail on the head. We knew what the game was going to be, but Chalamet did win us over. I think he did enough. Chalamet obviously showed that he is a hip hop fan. Like he understands rap um, with you know his appearance a couple years ago and with this appearance too. I think will this song. Uh, Will it blow up the way the last one did? Probably not, but enough where I do think you'll be hearing this as a sound on TikTok. Um, so th- that's enough for the sketch to work. My one weird uh, kind of gripe, not gripe, just uh, J.A.J.'s Rick Rubin. Um, when I was looking, listening to it, I, something wasn't right. I was like, it's not sounding right. So I, I forced myself to go back and watch like, 30 interviews of Rick Rubin 
like wow. to figure out what's going on with his voice. And, and his, oh my God, I was on YouTube for like an hour, just scrolling through like something's off with his voice. And I figured it out. J.A.J. is doing a really zen Louis C.K. Rick Rubin oh is God. a very zen Anthony Jeselnik. So it was off a little bit, and I knew it through the sketch. I was like, that's something. He's so good at impressions that I can tell when he's off a little bit. And um, that's why you come to this this podcast is to get analysis like that. I just I just Th- got thank to you, see- Father Haskell. I just got to see Jeslinik um, live. It was my first time seeing him, by the way, seeing him live. Um, and so I need to now go and look at these Rick Rubin interviews that you're talking about because I love Jeslinik. And I'm like, that's such a specific, like, observation. I'm so I'm so intrigued. Let's get uh, Kirsten's thoughts on this sketch. What do you think of the Museum of Pop one? Uh, I figured they would bring it back. I do like that they had an explanation for, for Pete. I think this one was less about introducing the gimmick and, you know, seeing them both perform and, and it was, had more character. The lines, I noticed the writing more, um, you know, mom, can you call me an Uber? (laughs) Um, Biggie. Oh, so he was a flop. Uh, you was in matrix revolutions. Like, I think what it played into more was, the cultural references that get lost between generations. Cause this really rewarded and created that the line in the sand between people who didn't really appreciate Biggie and would just be like, based on the numbers, he wasn't that good. Like what? So I think that was where it got really interesting and fun is when they started to pick apart. Um, and we could understand why they started to pick apart the generational divide. And they, we could understand now who these characters were and why, Rick Rubin made sense and Mary J. Blige and they had more to react to, right? Which is not just that you're some punky little kid who has got a lot of views on TikTok, but holy smokes, what has happened to all of this music lore and history among some of the younger people. And what have we become as a society that we're only basing some of our success rates on clicks and views, right? Like there's a larger story around that, which was brought together nicely and the way that they all interacted. And I love that he called his mom for an Uber. Like that said so much about who he really is. At the end of the day, he's just this kid who has too much money, clearly, and has parents that say yes to everything. Um, and it's he's a bit of a product of, of his situation. So there's a lot to dig into there, even though on the surface, it looked like, you know, he has just great character work. But I thought there was a, a lot underneath that one. TJ, I wonder what you think of this take. Uh, is it possible at all that Keenan undercut this sketch a little bit without no. you know, like part of the part of what made the first sketch really strong was how disgusted everybody sort of was with, you know, like like how these two kids could be so unbelievably wrong about hip hop. But here Keenan was sort of like buying into this stuff and and like having over, you know, very like ex- eccentric Keenan reactions. What do you think? So I I don't think at all Keenan detracted because without Pete, you needed additional energy in this sketch. Pete and Chalamet in the first sketch work as just like a great primary track. You don't really need any second games or like secondary things. You and I talked about this in the, there was like a, we did like Patreon content, I think for the Washington sketch that Nate Bargatze was in. Yeah, the patron sketch breakdown in week number three. 
Yes. And so one thing I, I think I mentioned was like in that sketch, there was a B, there was like an A game and there's like a B game. The A game is the weights and measures thing. And the B game is Keenan trying to figure out what's going to happen with the slaves. Um, and, the, and the thing is, the fun thing is that naturally those, you know, like a perfect episode of Community, those ep- I'm rewatching a lot of Community right now. Uh, those episodes came together into like a nice little like ending um, in the sketch. And SNL has a lot of difficulty with endings, whereas with that first uh rap, rap, round table sketch pete and like you don't really need like a second game but in this second one you kind of do and chalamet is charismatic but like they kind of inserted keenan sort of to play or add a little bit more for instance every time i heard keenan say in a high-pitched voice um why don't you speak to that more uh, brother smoke cheddar like when he called him brother smoke brother smoke cheddar i howled my ass off brother smoke cheddar and there are black dudes that talk like this like that i know from when i was growing up like that like put formality on informality and it's just it's beautiful um and so kirsten i loved your like observation just now about um how the first sketch was more about like the difference like in hip-hop but this one tried to just in making it a good sequel not like a perfect sequel it's no it's not like it's not a shrek one and a shrek two it's like a pitch perfect one and pitch perfect two like one's really good and the other one's it's pretty good um sorry i i know the references these are out here i apologize um but like you sort of needed keenan there as like sort of a support even though chalamet was going to bring you a lot of laughs and that intergenerational confusion we just had it on the show i asked who is zach morris uh, even though even though the funny thing is I know what Say by the Bell is. Like, I know it's like a very famous sitcom, Mario Lopez. Like, I'm aware of that, but I don't know a lot about the characters. But I know about that there's like a funnier die series called Zach Morris's Trash. I don't know anything about it. I just know it's like a thing where people roast, where they say like Zach Morris is like a scumbag or something. And that's a generational thing. Like, that's how that was introduced to me or the Werner Herzog. So, that being the underlying theme of like, a white kid like not like in the Bronx because he clearly doesn't understand it. Like, I really appreciated that like extra note, and I I hate myself because this is such a generational thing, and I don't I don't endorse this because I'm not a big I'm not the biggest when it comes to like old school hip hop. When it comes to oldies, I listen to a lot more like Hall and Oates, um, a lot more like '70s and '80s like soul and funk and stuff like that. Um, uh, but like I'm not the biggest like rap like historian like i like hip-hop but it's not really where my expertise is and so i can hear a song and i can just appreciate like a beat for a while but like i know that in this generation there's an appreciation of like a, a bite-sizedness of like shorter like snapshots of things and while i'm not always supporting that i get it because i'm sort of an in-between it and like so I did bop my head with at the clink, clink, clink. Like I, I did. Like I, it's trash. I know it's trash. I know it's bad. But it also hit though. And like, do like the nationwide jingle. It hits like it does. Like there is this odd thing about generations where they are appreciating something different, even if it isn't to the same level of excellence of what we once had. And I love that this is all. <laughs> I'm getting all this from a sketch about somebody named Smoke Cheddar. So, uh, bravo to SNL. <laughs> Would you say Asko? Um, <laughs> the ass getter. <laughs> Smoke Cheddar, the ass getter, exactly. Like, I also, just like, just acting notes. I really liked when Chalamet got, like, I liked how choked up he got. 
when he talked about Guapalor because it was it was a really good dramatic but comedic Guapalor like a like a choke up. So just yeah, like a great. lot of these things I thought were very funny. Um, I didn't think it was necessary, but here's the thing. This is how you do a sequel, right? And this is the reason you're more okay having breaks between hosts because we had Lisa with Temecula too fast. That sequel didn't work like the way that we wanted it to. This sequel did work, but it was no like Black Jeopardy with Tom Hanks. It's no like, this isn't like, oh my God, like this just elevation on elevation. Yeah, but if you don't, if you don't do Lisa from Temecula, then you don't get this joke. She used to be Lisa from Temecula. Now she's Vivek from Ramaswamy. <laughs> I see your point, TJ. Um, I do want to just make sure that we have time for a little bit of rapid fire on this episode. So if there's anything else from this episode that we didn't talk about tonight that each of you want to bring up, let's do that now. Haskell, anything else you want to say? I'm not usually the musical guy on these roundtables, but Boy Genius is awesome. Those girls rock. Um and they just have such an SNL sound. Like I just, for me growing up was tuning into SNL and being able to learn like bands like that, that had a sound like that. Um, so what, a and, and they paired so well with Timothy Chalamet, like I said earlier in the podcast, um, they were awesome. It was cool to get them involved in a sketch. Um, would love to see them as musical guests again sometime. Kirsten, I know you always have plenty of notes. So any other sketches or moments that you want to bring up? That was um, I have always my little grab bag of moments. One would be, well, the neck waddle. We talked about that. Um, I got to give it up for that monologue blazer, that bedazzled sparkled blazer. Right? Come on. Yeah. I would um, wear that. Yeah. Like that was fly. Right? That was pretty uh, great. Let's put hey. it, let's just, uh, before we keep going, let's just put a pin yeah. in that for a second. Cause I know, I think TJ mentioned pre-show you wanted to say something about the monologue. So, uh, we obviously got a couple different versions of this monologue, but here we go. I got a baby face, but my hips don't lie. Say I'm a bad kid, bitch. I'm a bad guy. Yeah, that was, uh, that was pretty oh, fire, TJ. Yes. <laughs> Man, that baby face rap hit. I, I really, I, I really, that's, that's one of the ones that I wish they would post on the, uh, the SNL cast for Spotify. Like that's that. And like, uh, I know we all want big boys, but it'll never happen. But Chalamet's not a music. He's not a musician. Um, and I don't know if he's in like a big movie musical, unless Wonka's going to be a movie musical, but like, yeah. apparently just, it is a little bit. Oh, yeah. oh, nice. Oh, I do enjoy music, movie musical. Um, but like, man, I, I loved seeing Marcel. Like I loved seeing that Marcella was the one that came out. It wasn't Mikey or, I almost said Cecily, man. Shout out to her. Um, <laughs> I almost said Cecily. I really liked that it was Marcelo. That made me feel even like better about like like just you seeing Marcelo and Punky at the front of the show. I I know I don't know. I just that felt good. But like I didn't know Mar- I didn't know Marcelo could rap like that. Like I I like my sick. little hip hop heart. Like I for me, but I'm also gonna say this that monologue could have stopped right when he gets back on stage after sitting down in the audience. And honestly, it would have been okay. Like if we never got this, we don't know what we would have missed. And it would have, we would have said, oh, this was like a fine serviceable monologue. He promotes Wonka. We probably would have gotten time for one more sketch. And we would have thought, oh, wow, that's a quick monologue. I don't think any of us are mad at quick monologues, except for Brendan Gleeson. Um, like, <laughs> but this it, like it's funny because he did two monologues in one. Like I just, I, I just, I loved that. I love the combination. I didn't need the Wonka thing at all, by the way. But like, I do get annoyed sometimes with like actors and the shameless self promotion. So like, it was nice to have that being made fun of. But like, I really liked the music 
for that. I, I thought it was great. Kirsten, other thoughts you had that you want to bring up? Well, I'll also just say that Keenan coming in as the OG babyface was <laughs> incredible. Um, Dong say horse, an age like a vampire. Like, come on, there were some. There was really funny writing in that. But um, I'm old like my dad. Right. Um, I also want to give a bit of a slow clap to. We got to see some great impressions from Chloe. She's so good at it. They yeah. served it up in the Britney book. We knew that that's always a, an easy way to just jam a whole bunch of impressions in, but that's not to take away from how fantastic they really are. I also thought Sarah nailed the John Mulaney. Um, yeah. Which was great. Um, and then Werner Herzog, that's funny. And also Longfellow's identical replication of a Bill Hader look, the glasses, the shirt, everything. If you've been online and you've seen them do the side by side with the images, like, yeah. Thank you, wardrobe. They nailed it. So I just want to make sure that uh, Chloe got her mentioned because she had some serious, a serious go at some impressions on this one. I wanted to make sure that we brought up that Longfellow Bill Hader impression. So let me just play that for the chat. When I was little, I wanted to be a star like Madonna. Next. Was it, it wasn't perfect, but it had enough there that made me really, really laugh hard. I love it when SNL cast members play former cast members. To me, that is mm-hmm. a pure like joy moment. So every like th- throughout the entire night, there were so many moments like that. And Bill's not someone you think of the show wanting to to make fun of. It's almost similar to like the falling star bit. It's not the same thing at all, but it's no, almost but... like, oh, it's not something you would think of like like the show clearly loves Bill. And it's not something you would no. And again, he's not is not making fun of him in the same way that Spade used to. Um, uh, but it, it definitely was like, oh, like the show's acknowledging. Like I, I don't, for some reason, something. I, it almost feels sacred. It, Bill Bill feels to me sacred to the show. Like so, it almost felt like uh, surprising that like, oh wow, okay, I didn't expect that. Yeah, I mean, it was like in season 47 when Melissa Vase and Yor did uh, Kristen Wiig in a sketch. I was like, wow, like I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. It's like okay, now like. Now these people are getting made fun of on SNL. Like it's just it's just weird to think about how how the world turns like that. Um, TJ, I do want to ask you just before you go ahead. I just want to make sure that uh, as we come to you uh, to wrap up our discussion of the episode, if there's anything else from the episode you want to bring up, now's the time. I want to make a comment on that last sketch, and then I'll, I'll bring one more thing. Uh, the one thing that bothered me about um, Chloe's uh, impression thing was I saw her Julia Fox on Instagram. And she did one of the funniest things I'd ever seen somebody do physically was she wore her bra backwards and like the strap of the bra was covering her boobs, like in a way that like Julia Fox, like wears outfits. And she didn't do that in the sketch. For some reason, when Chloe did that in her like Instagram post, I thought that was one of the funniest like wardrobe things. It was so odd to see. I've never seen a woman wear a bra backwards. Like that's not a thing you see women do. And so I just, I really appreciate it. And like, was like, come on, Chloe. The, the the layup is right there. Um, but uh, I just let, let, let's just bring up Troy Sivan for a quick second. Like, I'm somebody who like I've known who Troy Sivan was because he has like a few. He, he has some good hits, and he's not just gay famous. But then again, I have a lot of gay friends, and that's how I. He's gay famous. It's different. <laughs> One of the best lines for me. Um, but that's not how I learned about who he was. I learned about it because I'm in the dance community, and he makes some good dance music. And so I didn't know about like I didn't know about his most recent video. So I went and watched it and I was like, wow, like they got this like top to bottom. I don't know why you do this. Like, I don't know why you pick this specifically. Um, not everybody knows who Troy is, clearly, but like I really appreciated it. And also really enjoyed the song it's referencing. So hey, new music. Um, so yeah. 
Shout out to that. Also, I didn't know that a blouse is a femme top. Like my friend had to point while we were watching it together. She she like at first I thought it was just like a like a funny joke. She was like, oh no, like that's vernacular. And I was like, whoa. I was like mind blown. I was like, that's amazing because it's not just a femme top, but it's also a feminine top. And I was like, man, that's the gay man. Gay people really have good vernacular. Like that's just that's just strong top to bottom. Hundred percent. Hardly All right. pun. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay, so we're uh, we're gonna talk about some MVPs uh, from this episode. Before I do that, let me read out some stats that we can wrap up the show with. So, uh, Timothy Chalamet in nine sketches, Baldwin made an appearance for one sketch. Boy Genius was in two performances and was in that uh, Troy Spawn sketch where they all played versions of Troy Spawn. Uh, Heidi Gardner led the night with five sketches. Four sketches for Keenan, Mikey, Punky, J.A.J., and Sarah. Three sketches for Ego and Bowen. Two sketches for Chloe Feynman. And then one sketch and a voiceover for Dismukes. He was the voiceover in that Impressions sketch. For our feature players, Molly was in three sketches. Marcelo and Chloe Trost in two sketches. Obviously making a huge impact. Trost with her sketch. Uh, Devin Walker and Michael Longfellow were both in one sketch. John Higgins was in two. And then we had the PDD boys in that sketch that they did. By the way, PDD sketch I thought was fantastic this week. We didn't get to talk about it too much, but... Really, really great sketch that we got. So I'm going to go around the panel. I'm going to ask you for your top three. Before I do that, I didn't get to talk about some of the cut sketches from this week on the Hot Take Show. So just for our uh, listeners who were asking me about that, I'll bring up uh, the things that were cut from this episode including uh, Chloe Feynman on Weekend Update. She had a bit that was cut where she was a real housewife of New York talking about reality stars being needed to be included as a part of the union from now on. So that bit was cut. We also had a golden bachelorette sketch where Heidi was the golden bachelorette and Michael Longfellow, Mikey Day, and Andrew Dismukes were contestants. And uh, the joke was sort of that they were settling because she was too old. We had another (laughs) sketch with Chloe Feynman and Timothy Chalamet where they were in a French band singing and dancing in French while fighting and making up. And that was a a sketch called Maison de Bang. Uh, Then we had a medium seminar sketch where Mikey Day played a ponytail guy who could talk to the dead, uh, who visited uh, Ego and Chalamet, who were a couple. Ego was very interested. Chalamet was skeptical and eventually ends up believing uh, Mikey as they kept going throughout the sketch. So those were the three cut sketches and the cut weekend update piece from this week. All right. I want to know who your top three is from the MVP votes. And then we're going to bring up the results on the poll, which we put out every single Monday during the afternoon on social media. So if you want to vote in our poll to contribute to the MVP results each and every Monday night roundtable, you got to vote. Follow us at the SNL Network to find that poll on our Twitter page or in our Instagram stories. Haskell, who's your top three from the week? Um, Number three, I feel you have to make an impact throughout the whole show, but Trost was just so good in that kind of star-making performance. So I'm going to give her the nod for number three. Number two, we didn't get a talk about him a ton today, but I'm going to go with Mikey Day. I felt he played a key role in a couple of funny sketches. We didn't even get to talk about the Jim phone call sketch. I thought he was great in that. He played a huge part um, in the Chloe Trost sketch. And then number one star for me, again, I don't do this a ton, but it's the host. Timothy Chalamet was the best thing about that episode. He was the MVP of the night. Kirsten, who would you put in your top three for the week? In my third spot, I'm torn between Punky, who had a great showing, and Marcelo for the opening, the like confidence that he had. Um, So that one, it's a bit of a toss-up. But number two, Trost, hands down. And number one is uh, Timothy Chalamet. TJ? 
Uh, Haskell and I actually we have the same lineup. It's uh, it's uh, Chalamet, Mikey, and uh, Chloe for me. Uh, sorry. Uh, All right. Yeah, Trost. Okay, well, let me bring up the results from Season 49, Episode 4, our MVP results for the week. And in the first spot, we have the one, the only, Chloe Trost here at oh, 66% of the vote. 66% of the vote. We had a lot of people voting. That is the highest percentage in the last two seasons for somebody getting the number one spot in the MVP bowl. So people were coming out in droves to celebrate Chloe Trost and her breakout on the show this week. So congratulations, Trost, on that one, 66%. Hunky Johnson, number two this week with 12%. I think Punky is making a huge impact on the show. People are acknowledging how good of a cast member she is. This is a prospect that was being worked on for a few years and is finally making her move as an impact player on the show. So great uh, move in the monologue this week with the Nicki Minaj impression-ish. Uh, she did a lot Ice of barbs Spice as in well. the audience. Yeah, it was it was great. Uh, Ice Spice in the impression parade and then the last catch. So great for Punky. Timothy Chalamet in the third spot here with 9% of the vote. I thought Timothy should be a little bit higher here. I mean, I thought yeah. he was fantastic. Uh, Marcelo, uh, number two, uh, number four, excuse me, with 6% of the vote. Obviously a big part of that rap that we talked about. And then Chloe Feynman in the five spot here at 4% with her impression of Britney and also was in that Trost sketch as well. So those are your MVP results for week number four. Chloe Trost, Punky Johnson, Timothy. Marcelo Hernandez and Chloe Feynman. All right. So let's turn the page for now towards the return of Jason Momoa to the SNL stage. When Jason Momoa was about to host in season 44, it was a very exciting time. Obviously, a big name actor. You know, a lot of people knew him from Game of Thrones and being Aquaman. And, you know, how can you not know who Jason Momoa is? I mean, this huge, bulking figure that's taking over Hollywood. And it turns out he was a really big Saturday Night Live fan. He's a huge fan of the show. Uh, and it's very exciting to have him back on the SNL stage. Been four seasons since we've seen him at the show. He also, I think he did cameo a couple of times. He cameoed during the Chance the Rapper episode in season 45. And he was there uh, in a film cameo during the Bill Burr episode. But as far as hosting the show, welcoming him back, very excited about all of that. And I think there's a lot of potential to see what he can do during this episode. So Haskell, what are your predictions for what we're going to see from Jason Momoa's episode? I think it's going to be very similar to this one. I think it's going to be really fun. I think he checks a lot of the same boxes. I think he's somebody who's good on the show, somebody who has fun being at the show and is a real movie star. Like I think can bring eyes to the show. Um, the only difference is I don't think we're going to see quite the sequel episode that we saw, um, you know, with this episode. Um, this The sketch that sticks with me for him is the Elf on the Shelf sketch. It might be a little early in the season to do an Elf on the Shelf sketch. It might not be the most memorable sketch, I think, to the masses. Uh, but it could be something to kind of revisit to see where the people from that sketch have been in the last couple of years. Yeah, I think the sketch that sticks out to me a lot is like I really like the pre-tape, that first impression pre-tape with Beck Bennett and Melissa Villasenor and Heidi Gardner, where as like the father, he's trying to like find him around the house. I think that was one of the funnier pre-tapes from that season. Really enjoyed that one. But I agree. I don't know that this episode is going to be, you know, Maboa part two in the way that Chalamet part two was this week. Kirsten, what are your thoughts as Jason comes into the show this week? Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I, I Game of Thrones stuff is old news at this point. Um, so he's not talking about that. Maybe they'll lean into something Aquaman-esque. That's where the, you know, Kate McKinnon's blob character would have come in handy. Um, you're right. It's probably a little too early for Christmas. I like Day of the Dorks, but first impression, that pre-tape really, really 
it was hilarious. You know, Beck's voice, come find me. And he's like, he's giggling and he has to go. (laughs) And then he greased himself up behind the bookcase. And Jason played like, you know, really straight, just like this, this kind of funny old man with a big pot belly. Um, Yeah, I agree. There's, there's not a lot there that lends itself to a repeat or a sequel. But I'm excited to see him come back. He's such a gregarious extrovert. Like he's he's a total blast to have around. He's definitely, I think a lot of men and women would say, I would love to run into him and just like have a drink. Like he just seems like he would have such a good energy around him and it'd be such a fun time. So um, I think he brings that energy to the set and that's what gets people excited about his uh, his second appearance. Speaking of having a drink with Jason Momoa, do yourself a favor and go on YouTube and look up when he was on The Tonight Show a few years ago and played this water game with Jimmy Fallon where they would flip a card and whoever had the highest card got to like uh, take a glass of water and pour it in the other one's face. That was one of the funniest things I've ever seen on The Tonight Show. I I won't spoil it. It is so good and is so like to the point of how funny Momoa could be. TJ, are you excited to have him back in the building next week? Excited is a in by the way, I'm not being sardonic at all, but like excited would be a bit of a strong word. I I, I feel like I'm starving for anything to return at SNL. Like I feel like I'm at the point where, you know, since we see less rec- well, actually pre the season we were seeing less recurring sketches that I'm like at least we have returning hosts, and it felt like except for Melania for a while, that was a little dried out. So it's a little nice to have sort of like back to back returning hosts because I feel like mostly this past few years we've only gotten returning musical guests. Um, so excited is a strong word. The only sketch I really remember from Momoa's episode is I remember I remember liking his energy, and I, I'm willing to bet I like his energy in the same way that I liked him in the last Fast and Furious movie. Um, like which those movies are insane, but God help me, I, do, I love them. Uh, in that movie, Jason Momoa is in. He's playing a character in a different movie. Like he's not a Vin Diesel character. And like, I feel like he just brings that kind of energy in anything he does. I don't know if he does it in Aquaman. I don't know. Uh, but like in anything else I've seen him in, uh, actually that's not true in his hosting stuff. I really appreciate seeing him in like, interviews and things like that. Also, do you think he did the water war thing? Cause he's Aquaman. Is that like, that just dawned yes. on me. Um, but like I, the only sketch I remember is there was like a pre-tape where um, there was like home equipment for men. And I think it was like, a, there was like a washing machine with like a 45 pound steel door. <laughs> like, um, like I remember that because I was like, this is just ridiculous. And I- um, It was the GE big boy appliances. Yes, yes, that's what it was. Thank you. Um, so it, it'll be fun because I, I, I like, I feel now I'm more happy when I feel like the show wants someone back. Um, because it feels like they like that person, either that or Disney has some sort of deal with them like they did with sort of Adam Driver. Um, and so I hope it's a better hosting thing than it, it kind of feels similar energies to when we got Benedict Cumberbatch hosting six years later. And they did that sequel to the toilet sketch that no one was thinking about. So I just kind of hope it's maybe like Jason Momoa is such a different energy, but he's also like, you know, a superhero star. So I just I kind of hope it's that it's really fun. I have no idea what direction the show could go in, but like maybe in sort of a Pedro Pascal kind of way, he'll just like have a lot of fun with it. All right. Well, before we get there, 
in a world of shameless self-promotion, let me bring up what's coming up here on the network this week, which includes our By the Number show on Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. I will be guesting on that show with our great hosts, Mike and Victoria, where we will reveal the screen time from this week and talk about all the statistics. If you missed the last show that they did, they talked all about Weekend Update and only having one correspondent on there. It was a trend. And we saw it again this week. So you may watch that show and see things about Saturday Night Live that you didn't know existed. That's the great thing about Mike and his stats on the By the Number show. On Thursday night, we are back to reveal three more cast members on the list of the greatest of all time. We're down to 18, 17, and 16. So we're really getting high up, getting towards the top of the list as we start to reveal the greats of all the greats in SNL history. So that will be on Thursday night. And then Saturday night, we will be back right after the Jason Momoa and Tate McRae episode of Saturday Night Live for the Hot Take Show at 1.10 a.m. and do it all over again next week with our roundtable one week from tonight. So I want to thank everybody for joining us tonight, including you, Haskell. So please tell the listeners where they could check you out. Uh, Andrew E. Haskell, Twitter, X, Instagram. Um, and if listen, you should listen to the podcast on Wednesday. But if you don't want to do that and you're in the New England area, I'm back at the Rhode Island Comedy Connection hosting this Wednesday. Uh, so if you're around, love to see you there. Yeah, you can go check out Haskell and then listen to the podcast on the drive home. It's always available for you on your podcatcher, so you can do that as well. Uh, Kirsten, thank you for joining us tonight. Anything you would like to plug? Uh, thank you. Um, always like to talk about the intergenerational event series that we have. If you're in the Toronto area, we do a seasonal event. Our next one is coming up in January, generationwomen.ca. Absolutely. And TJ, thank you once again for joining us on the pod tonight. So great to get to hear from you. Where can the listeners check out everything you got going on? Uh, I have a 15-ish minute podcast called Rabbit Trail. That's R-A-B-I-D. Um, this past, uh, this last week, we did an episode on uh, the comment section, uh, you know, the venom pit and the often sometimes bundle of the joy that is a comment section uh, in any social media. Uh Today, we released an episode on Bethesda uh, RPGs. And next week, I'm really excited because we're doing an episode on roasting and like the culture of it. Um, you can find the podcast on any podcaster, podcatcher. Um, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, you can reach out to us at We Are Rabbit Trail. Again, that's R A B I D. You can find me, TJ, at King Compliment on Instagram. Awesome. Well, don't forget to follow the show here at the SNL Network on all social platforms and subscribe to the podcast on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify so you never miss a show. On behalf of Haskell, Kirsten, and TJ, my name is John Schneider from the SNN. We will see you next time, everybody. Have a good one.